Well, welcome to season two of Lift, a parenting podcast where we ask the questions about family and faith. Let's be honest, parenting takes a lot of heavy lifting, both physical, emotional, and spiritual ways. Raising a family is hard work. Some of us are doing it as a single parent. Some of us are working with a spouse, but all of us have questions every day. Are we screwing up our kids, our marriage, our relationships? We hope this podcast will ask some questions that can guide each of us to find our rhythm in creating a space for God in our home. Um, We're starting our podcast this week talking about technology. I have brought in our guest, Dr. Ryan Smith. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here today? Absolutely. Um, So I am currently serving uh, in the role of family life minister at a church in Rockwall. Um, But prior to that, and this is usually where I do these technology presentations, it's drawing on the experiences that I've had for the 10 years prior to this one. Um, I spent uh, 10 years as um, working in the public school system and working in that role, uh, doing um, family therapy with the families of early elementary kids uh, who were struggling with behavior issues in the classroom. And so we took a, a family-based approach to those types of, of behavior interventions. So for years, I worked hundreds and hundreds of families uh, of, of parents with young kids. Prior to that, I was a school teacher and taught at the secondary level and was a youth minister for a while before that. So I've kind of got this weird perspective on early childhood from a clinical perspective, uh, secondary from a teaching perspective. And then when I went into private practice, um, when people read your bio and see that you were a school teacher for a long time, you end up with a whole bunch of secondary kids. We assume that our families might have gotten new technology over the Christmas season. Good assumption. And as we enter the year of 2020, we thought we might give our families some guidelines. So let's just start simple. Great. What are some simple rules and guidelines that families can adopt early about technology in the house? I'm so glad you said the word early. Um, So uh, when I talk to high school parents, and it's a weird place to start, but when I talk to high school parents, one of the most frustrating aspects of it is the things that I ask them to do and the things that I ask them to think about are not super complicated unless you haven't been doing any of them. And you try to walk into a 16-year-old's room and completely change the rules on technology, uh, that's going to be a tough conversation. Um, and so you said, what can we do early? So this this morning, we're kind of focusing on that early, yes. early childhood yes. stage. Okay. Uh, right off the bat, the best advice that I can give parents to especially elementary age and even preschool age, um, here's your first fun fact. You want to guess the average age in, un, in which kids begin daily consuming digital content? Daily. So that's it's not a ton of time, but what age they start seeing screens every single day? I'm going to go low. Okay, go low. I'm going to go nine months. Oh, you still went too high. It's four months. <laughs> yeah, at four months, we they begin uh, uh, daily exposure to screens. Now, for the record, we're talking TVs, too. Right. Uh, this is not not every parent of a six-month-old is sticking an iPad in front of them. That's not what that's that's meant to imply. Um, but, but every day, yeah, there's some sort of digital interaction every day. Now, again, it may just be baby Einstein and stuff, which right. to an adult is the creepiest thing in the world, but, but, but they look at it. Um, and we look at it as a tool. Uh, and so we do things like, um, uh, again, baby Einstein, uh, as they get older, we do things like endless alphabet, uh, which is an app that, that my kids love. Uh-huh. Um, so we do some of those things for educational purposes, right. but they're exposed constantly at, at younger and younger ages. So, so let's start with some things that I would encourage young parents of young kids to consider. Number one, digital privacy 
the earlier you can set the expectation that it doesn't really exist, the better. Yeah. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, when I work with high school kids who have been struggling with depression, who have suicidal ideation, I get those all the time. Um, and for almost every one of them, there's a digital trail that led to this. For better or worse, teenage kids purge their, their emotions digitally. Absolutely. And I don't always love that as an outlet because oftentimes the feedback they get is not what I would like for it to be, but I can't change the culture. I can't change the fact that that's what they do. It's recognizing that the school day never ends. Correct. Correct. Well, and that, when we talk in cyberbullying, that's, that's a whole separate issue. But, but I say that because, um, I don't want to, I don't want to stigmatize this and I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm labeling behavior in parents, but it's not uncommon for parents to be completely blindsided by by either a suicide attempt um, or by suicidal ideation that they'll get a phone call from school and it says – and the, the, the counselor will say, you know, these are the words that your 16-year-old used. Right. And and then I get a call from the parent who is beside themselves. I can't There's, tell you how many phone calls I get. Yeah, no, I never saw this coming. No indication. They're such a happy kid. Those are the things that I hear. and And it's not – always the case, but it's really common for there to have been a lot of digital signs. Um, but parents, because they, uh, these kids got phones at 12 and 13 before we were having some of these conversations, some of them got phones at eight and nine. Um, but they were having some of the, they, they got phones before we were having some of these conversations. Um, and so privacy was something that parents didn't really know what to do with. And so they just didn't really address it. So how do we address it with, our little ones start at an so say early age. Um, right now, my kids are very comfortable with the fact that I'm going to pick up and go through every device in the house on a regular basis. Now they're eight and four, so that's completely normal to them. But it is my job to maintain that level of vigilance. Mm-hmm. Um, my eight year old knows how to download apps, and and he you know this is not like he's so. My four-year-old knows how to do it too. That's correct. That's correct. But he he knows how to how to navigate these things in ways that um, my wife and I are always surprised by. Uh, and so for us, it is really important for us to always stay connected to his digital life. So from a very early age, I pick up this device and I go through it. Um, it's not a bad idea, even for if you're going to give a kid an iPad and call it his iPad. Now, for the record, we kind of refer to every piece of technology as family technology. Yep. Um, I don't put ownership. We don't. It's not this kid's iPad, it's a family iPad because that implies that it's, you don't own the content on it either, that we're all allowed to pick it up and go through it. Uh, but the earlier you can start that, the better. Because one of the things that um, I'm going to ask a parent of a 15-year-old girl to do is pick up her phone and go through it. And they might say, um, they might say, uh, okay, there's some things I'll look at. So social media accounts, but like things like text messages. The pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I, I don't want that. That's for next week. I know. That's for next week. I don't, okay, well, but, but to start it now. So yeah. it's, I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. I'm going to have an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old at some point. Right. Uh, and so I don't want that to be a conversation that I'm putting off until they're 14 or 15. Yeah, that's great. So we're going to begin at a very early age um, recognizing what privacy looks like and what it doesn't look like. Um, you know, one thing we've done in our family is before I post pictures of my kids online, I get their permission. That's one of my tips for parents that I, that, yeah, is I ask them, well, so there is, and by the way, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there as a, as a resource for the people of your podcast. Uh, my personal website is www.yourbestfamily.com. Um, as a, as a, 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 a point, there's nothing on there that's charged. 
Uh, it's all free. It's a resource. It's a ministry. It's not meant to, I'm not trying to profit off of this. So I say that because I want your parents to feel comfortable going there. Um, if they go there, they will find a family technology plan. And it is, it is, there's a six minute video that explains it. It is a menu item. Here are the expectations for kids. Here's the expectations for teens. Here's the expectations for parents. And there's a bunch of blanks because this is a fluid conversation for parents to have for what works for their family as opposed to uh, what what may work for other families. Well, and what I'm learning now as a parent of teenager is the rules we instilled when they were younger, when they first got their devices are changing mm-hmm. because A, devices are changing and technology is changing yeah. and apps are changing and all that kind of stuff. Well, I want to go I want to go back and and we'll probably save it to the end because I want there's some points I want to hit on before we get there that might help parents craft that idea, but I want to go back to that technology plan um, to help them maybe get a better handle on functionally what technology in their house can look like. Uh, so you asked though, what are some what are some pieces of advice that I would give um, to parents of young kids? Number one, digital privacy. Uh, number two, uh, an understanding that not all technology is the same. Um, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. I left the house this morning and my kids were playing um, Marvel Avengers, the Lego Marvel Avengers on the Xbox, yeah. right? Their time limit for Xbox games is completely different than their time limit for iPad games. And their time limits based on what they're doing on the Xbox is different. Uh, and and let me explain, let me explain a little bit about why that is. Um, there's some biology and some chemistry going on inside their brains as they engage with this technology. Right. And that that chemistry is affected not just by the fact that it's digital input, but by what kind of digital input it is. Um, so that when we get to the part of the conversation this morning about time limits, Uh I want to expound on that just a bit, uh, but right out of the gate, not all technology is the same. Um, I'll give you the real simple way to look at this rapid change, rapid rewards need to be significantly limited. So iPad games, my kids are not allowed to play iPad games for more than about 15 minutes, which seems uh, harsh, and it seems like a hard line, and it, and it is, but it is because those iPad games, two things are happening. Number one, because they're all tablet, like uh, on your phone-based games, they're all highly dopaminergic, which is a word your parents are going to learn today. Uh, but they they trigger a response, like a, like it's like an addiction response, um, because the, the purpose of every iPad app is the same. The purpose of every social media app is the same. The purpose is to keep you there. That's it. And iPads and iPad apps and, and, and um, uh, tablets and, and you know, cell phone apps are competing with an app store with thousands and thousands and thousands of options. So every game they pick up, there's an element of trying to keep you there as long as possible. Console games, so Xboxes and Playstations, the process of moving from one game to another is a much more involved process. So as a result, the games are not designed to be quite as highly dopaminergic as an iPad game would be. So if they're playing an Xbox game, they're going to have more time. Um, now, there's an, even ex- there's an even more extreme version of that. So I don't, I don't want to get too confusing. But And we need to explain the dopamine part. Um, Minecraft is a game that a lot of kids love. My kids have, and don't tell them this, but my kids have virtually no time limit on Minecraft because it's not a highly dopaminergic game. There's not a high reward system. Right. They're just building stuff. Uh, it's digital Legos. Yes, yes. And so, again, don't tell them they don't have a time limit because I'll tell them, I'll tell them you got 20 minutes left. They don't have the podcast app. That's it, right. Well, you know what? The last thing they want to hear is a podcast of their dad talking. Yeah. Uh, but so so not all technology is the same. <clears throat> and the last thing that I would uh, that I would encourage parents to think about is um, young parents, uh, parents of young kids to think about is 
we have a balancing act that we have to pull off that our parents' generation didn't. Um, so this is something that I want every parent of a young kid to hear. You are the first generation of parents who has had to tell your kids to go outside and play. You're the first generation of parents who has had to put Legos in front of your kid, put toys, not just le- put toys, action figures. That was a given right. when I was a kid. And for most generations, uh, creativity and uh, boredom mm-hmm. was built into our day. And, and what we see over and over and over again in the academic literature when we're looking at childhood development is that the greatest catalyst to creativity is boredom. And the greatest, the greatest cat, uh, catalyst to um, expanding a kid's ability to engage with, with the world is having to engage with the world. Um, at this point in time, I've got two boys who live – we live out in the middle of nowhere, ironically, with no internet access at our house. Uh, yeah, how about that? Uh, we have we use hotspots and stuff, but so we 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 can we could get it, but but that helps to a large degree. Yeah, helps us control our technology. It helps us control our technology. Well, so here's the thing: we live out in the middle of nowhere. We have goats and chickens and horses and dogs, and we've got all this. It's a it's a little boy wonderland out there. But we have to get them off of their technology to go experience it. They've got go-karts. They can ride around outside. But if we don't tell them to go do it, they won't do it. Well, so it doesn't. So I think a lot of parents think um, that, well, they don't have enough options. And for us as parents, um, wow, it's important. There needs to be a time in their day, not just in their week, every day. There needs to be a time where there's not a piece of technology in front of them. There's not an assignment in front of them where they are told, go and do. Yeah, one of the. And they ask what you just say. Whatever. Yeah, I love and 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 they've kind of gotten used to it now, so they don't say it very often. But when my kids would come in and say, "I'm bored," my response was always, "Fantastic! Something amazing is about to happen." <laughs> uh, and they hated it when I said yeah. that, but they've kind of gotten the point. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's good for it's good for us as parents to know that. Man, open the playroom door, open the back door uh, safely. Obviously, you know, right. don't send them out on the road, but but let them go outside and play. And when they come in and tell you they're bored, do every. We, this generation, yes, this generation of parents, and I love you. I'm in this generation of parents, so I understand it. But this generation of parents, we feel a pressure. And for the record, a lot of it is because of the social media feeds that we look at every day. We feel a pressure. I have to have every moment of my kid's day scheduled. And I have, if they're not in six different sports leagues, and if they don't know French by the time they're seven, and if they're not, I, I understand that pressure. I truly do, but... I'm so grateful. So I'm a little older than you, yeah. I would assume. Um, and that I didn't raise a baby on Instagram yeah. because it's a totally different yeah. ball game, right? Like Absolutely. the pressures came when you went to play dates yep. and you left thinking, Oh, she had her organic food and you know, yeah. my kid ate McDonald's and uh-huh. it's fine. Um, you know, so it is, it's a recognizing and mm-hmm. naming yeah. that it's a different, you're parenting different than your parents. Absolutely. Like every generation has yep. had their thing, but to name it mm-hmm. and recognize it and celebrating boredom. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that yep. that's what's missing. Well, and I'll tell you, you mentioned not raising a baby on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, in the research that I personally did, and by the way, I would not expect that that, that you would be older than me. We had kids really late. <laughs> uh, but the, the f- for us, for us, um, uh, something that came out, to me, um, my wife does not have, and and this is, I, I'm bragging on her sort of. Uh, she doesn't have social media, 
And the reason she doesn't have social media is because of a, of a realization she had when our oldest was really, really little. Um, her response was every time she was on Facebook, she felt pressure. Yeah. She felt like she was doing it wrong. And essentially she just felt like a bad mom. Yeah. Um, and so I, I heard her say that. And, and when I was doing the research that I was doing for my dissertation, um, something that was really powerful was 85% of the females in my study um, reported feelings of comparison of their life to the, to the lives that they see. Now, that wasn't a shock because I expected a high number, right? right. But here was the shock. 100% of them, so 85% said they compare their life to what they see online. 100% of the women who reported that followed that statement with some sort of a, of a qualifier that said, but I know it's fake. I know it's not real. And then the next word out of their mouth was, but it still really hurts. So in other words, this idea, and husbands are guilty of this, when our wives feel a certain way because of something they've seen online, specifically if it's related to uh, somebody else's somebody else's kid who knows Latin right. at seven and right. somehow and somehow is a black belt and also, um, you know, it, yes, and a first round draft pick right. of the Rangers. Right. Somehow, somehow we see these things. We know academically, cognitively, I know that's not a full picture of this family's life. Right. If they're doing these things, they're doing nothing else. They're not speaking to each other. They're like, there's a trade-off here, right? right. But every, every mother, every wife who reported comparing their life to what they see online said, I know it's fake, but I just can't help it. And that was eye-opening to me as, as a husband. I think it's a good thing to name that when we get in that technology realm, sometimes it is, it falsifies reality. Mm -hmm. You know? Absolutely. And yet we know that, but, yep. you know. Well, look, I, it, was it was it Eleanor Roosevelt that comparison is the thief of joy? Is that that quote? Um, I don't know a lot of Eleanor Roosevelt, but I know that one. Oh, all right. Good. I pulled that one out of nowhere. I'm very proud of it. I know two smart people quotes. That's the first one. Um, we have a couple minutes left, so save your We'll see. Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I, uh, to me, um, I don't – I don't – there's never – there's never a time in even my own life. So I, I'm going to step outside of the clinician role. And for the record, I'm in a family life ministry job now, but I still see clients every single day. When I'm done here, I'm going to go back to my office and, and start seeing clients again. Um, so I work clinically with people every single day. Um, there's, but for me personally, I don't, I don't feel bad or I don't feel compelled to improve our living circumstances. But we do live in a society you know, this podcast is at a church in West Plano. Right. Um, we're, we're a church of the Metroplex of Dallas, though, and yep. Dallas itself is a very successful, mm -hmm. driven, you know. And so when we get focused on that outside word and not That's right. the true word, right, that one thing I've said again and again in the podcast is I tell my kids two things before they leave the house. One, don't be stupid. Two, yeah. yeah, remember whose you are. Yeah. Because if you can ground yourself as a child of God and right. see others as a child of God, right. then everything else transformed. Okay, let's go back to practical technology. Yeah. Um, I could talk this for I days. Yeah. Um, so how do you, you, you said something earlier that kind of blew my mind mm -hmm. and that you have a 15 minute limit on iPad apps. Yeah. How do you monitor that? Uh. I'm so glad you asked that question. I've, we, oh, and here's why, here's why I'm glad you asked that question. I'm glad you asked that question because you asked me a question a minute ago, and the first thing that popped in my head, I never got to because, as you'll notice, 
I have a tendency to just kind of go. That's why you're All right. So, so let me go back to the first thing that popped in my head. You asked me the question, uh, what advice would I give to parents of young kids? And the first thing that popped in my head answers your question, uh, which is how do we monitor 15 minutes? The advice I would give to parents of young kids is if you are not prepared as a parent to do the heavy lifting on monitoring, then do not give your kids the device. Um, you monitor it by monitoring it as a parent, being vigilant of what my kids are doing. Um, I, I, I want to know where they are. I want to know digitally. I want to know where they are. I want, and I've got some rules. Um, you know, one of our rules is if you are ever on a device of any kind and anyone contacts you. So, you know, there's, I don't know why every app feels compelled to have a social component now. Um, yeah. but I have a rule with my kids that if anybody ever messages you, don't touch it, don't, don't get rid of it, do nothing, bring it straight to me. Mm-hmm. You won't be in trouble, right. but don't do anything. Let me see it. But my hope is that what we've implemented before that kind of heads that off, which is I don't give my kids anything that I'm not willing to monitor. Let me ask you a question. And this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to speak pretty severely maybe to parents. No parent ever says, well, I gave my kid a pocket knife, but like, how do I monitor when they're going to use it? Because the answer is it's dangerous and you know it's dangerous. And so you wouldn't give a five-year-old a pocket knife unless you're prepared to stand next to that five-year-old while they're using it. But with technology, we don't want to do that. And here's why. Uh, how you conceptualize technology in your home makes a massive difference on how much you're willing to monitor it. If you if you view it as a babysitter, then yeah, you're going to be more inclined to hand it to your kids and then you step into doing what else you were doing. And for the record, if you want to view it that way, that's not the end of the world. My kids have a digital babysitter too, but it's it's the shows that I let them watch. Okay. Um, it's their curated playlist of TV shows, which right. is not awesome, by the way. It's not great to have that kind of digital input, but I'm a, I'm a realist. Sometimes I got to get some some phone calls made. Right. Sometimes I've got to return some emails, and if I need to do that, them watching Trolls: The Beat Goes On is not the end of the world. <laughs> Um, but if I'm not there monitoring it, if I'm not able to hear it, if I'm not able to see it, they're not playing games. Um, and if that is an issue, then, then if well, they can't handle I that. I think that's something that will serve them for a lifetime because, and we'll talk about this in our next podcast, but social media and teenagers, that was our rule of you cannot friend anybody that right. would not walk in our front door. That's right. And so that starts young, That's right. you know, mm-hmm. understanding that that social network and digital world is greater than we all, yeah. you know, fully yeah. can grasp. Absolutely. Well, so, so I guess to put a bow on that, mm-hmm. how do we monitor that? We monitor it. We do what parents do. And, and if we struggle with that, and I mean this, if, if you're not prepared to do the kind of heavy lifting that, that technology requires, I, you're giving your kid a device that has the ability to reach millions of people has the ability to download and to explore content that you would never choose for them. Right. Uh, you're giving them a device that gives them access to things that, that you, as an adult, can't wrap your brains around how damaging it could potentially be. Right. If you're going to do that, do it intentionally and do it knowing, okay, this is a family choice that I'm making. Um, I was asked uh, to come in to a school not that long ago because there was a, a conversation amongst the fourth grade parents um, about cell phones. Mm-hmm who has them and, and there was pressure on the other kids. And so they wanted somebody to come in and give some of the science, which is what we did. Um, and the conversation about should four, fourth grade kids have a cell phone? My response to that is the same as my response is to should a kindergartner have a tablet? And the answer is it depends on the parents. 
Um, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to monitor everything they do, if you're willing to pick it up and go through it, if you're willing to go through um, to go through the the social media accounts on their phone, by the way, not on yours, you're gonna be friend you're gonna be friends with them on their social media accounts. I'm talking about the ones you don't know about, um, and that's usually more for teenagers than it is for little kids. But TikTok uh, is a right. <laughs> So when I say that, because if you're a parent and your kid has access to TikTok, you best be in the room uh, and you best be paying attention to what they're seeing. Because if you don't see what what they're seeing, they're going to see some stuff uh, that you wish they hadn't. Um, and so again. Well, and if you're in the room when they do see the stuff, not if, when. When, correct. You can have an appropriate parental conversation about it. If you're not in the room, then it becomes this haze of yeah. shame sometimes that you don't want it in your family. Can I tell you what? So you just said something that I think is really powerful. I, that's always been our job. Our, our job as parents has always been to be willing to not shield them from the idea that they're going to encounter the world. It's been our job to try and help prepare them for it. Um, so having those conversations. Now, granted, look, TikTok. Uh, if you got a kindergartner or a first grader who's just rolling through TikTok and, and stream or strolling through videos, they're going to see some stuff that's way above appropriateness level for them. Um, by the way, I keep using TikTok as an example. And you know why? Because most of the parents that I work with of elementary kids don't realize. No, they don't realize that like, oh, that cute little app that they can create music videos, that other people can create music videos too that may not be. Right. Uh, There's very different things on my 16-year-old's TikTok feed than the, uh, yeah. So we are going to kind of wrap up this side of it, of the elementary, early childhood. Um, a question I get all the time is, like, when is it okay? I guess you've kind of answered that. Age-wise? Yeah, to give your kid technology. I mean, the four months blew my mind. I uh, should. It's it's alarming. Well, here's the thing. So I'm going to answer that. And for the record, there are two questions I get for every presentation I do, and they want to know the answer uh, uh, as clearly as I can give it. They want to know, number one, what's the age, like what's the the least, the lowest age I can let my kids start viewing an iPad where it's not going to keep them out of college, right? right? So that's, <laughs> that's number one. And then the second one is, what's the monitoring app that I can get that will tell me everything they're doing and then will parent them for me? Um, I may have added that last part. Uh, but those are the two questions I get, monitoring software and time limits and age. So those, I guess those three things. Um, <laughs> The age in which you're most comfortable monitoring it is the answer to my question. Is the answer to that question. If you are, again, I have I have a four year old who started a little earlier with iPads and with and with consoles. Started a little earlier than his brother, um, and the reason for that is because he had a brother. <laughs> his brother his brother was was using these things. And for the record, parents hear me talk about all the dangers of this technology and then are shocked. When I tell them, like, no, my kids do it all the time. They've got they've got devices yeah. <laughs> because I think they think, oh, I would love it too if I had one of those families that like we we make everything. Uh, it's all homemade and gluten free and and no and and our we have iPads that they handcrafted themselves. Uh, that no, we don't do any of that. It's right. it's right. we're normal kids with normal yeah. family structure. Um, so I say that because what age is appropriate? Honestly, the longer you can wait, the better. Because you're developing good um, uh, socialization strategies and they're developing more cognitively, the more they do without a screen in front of them, th the more they're going to develop. Right. Um, 
And when we get to the secondary part, I want to talk about the fact that it also creates the situation that allows them to be happier. So we'll talk about that chemically. Um, and by the way, happiness as a chemical. So, um, so the longer you can wait, the better. But the right age is the age in which you are willing to take the reins on controlling it, on moderating it, um, and on recognizing that your kids can handle technology in so much as they can handle technology. But you need to be aware of the fact that when they can't, you need to step in. And I will give you a very simple, a very simple uh, thought that, that we have in our house, okay? okay? My kids can have access to technology, 15, 20-minute limit or so on, on iPads, but they can have access to technology. They'll, they'll play today. They will play, uh, they will play um, Switch. They will play Xbox. They will play iPad. I have no doubt that they'll have some time on those things today. Um, uh, for the record, they're not in school today. So, so that's, that's why they're, they're doing this. Um, so, but I say that because, um, we have a a rule in our house, as long as they can easily transition off of that to going outside to play, as long as they can easily transition from that to Monopoly Junior, which we play a lot at our house, as long as they don't have any issue going to, and as long as we can engage with those other activities without them constantly asking for, for technology, if balance is the key to this whole formula. So if my kids can comfortably move from digital stimulation to cognitive stimulation, then we're fine. And I'm not as worried about watching the clock to make sure, okay, we're at 58 minutes, they have two minutes to go. And then and beyond that, they're going to be uh, uh, damaged. So to me, as long as we read books at night, and they love it, they get super into it, as long as they're into that, as long as they're into, um, they watched Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse last night. Um, and so, and then started playing with the action figures, as long as they can go into their playroom and play toys, as long as they're being imaginative, as long as they're doing stuff that's the, as long as I don't have an issue with that. But I say that because they have friends, um, who I now hope don't listen to this podcast. Uh, they have friends who, who doing anything other than playing switch is a nightmare. Uh, or who doing anything other than being on their Xbox and playing Fortnite is a nightmare because they just yell and nah, that's all I want to do anything else. If that's the, the situation, then it, it's over. You got to reel it out. Yeah. Okay. We end every podcast this way. Okay. If you could pick parent, child, or teen, you have to pick which one's sitting in front of you first. Okay. What's one thing you wish they knew about this topic? Hmm. So I pick one of those three. Uh-huh. I think I would pick parent right. because of the role that we play uh, in creating the word normal. Um, and the one thing that I would like for them to know is that they're creating the word normal. Um, and, and, and that has a lot of branches underneath it. Um, but I will, I'll simplify it this way. I want parents to understand that if they don't have balance that we talked about a minute ago. Um, Their kids are are being affected by that in ways that they probably don't recognize. If your kid struggles to get off a device or struggles to put, if you have a teenager who you can't sit through a meal without the phone coming out, or you can't, which for the record is most of them. um, What I want them to understand, and, and we will talk about this in great detail on the next podcast where we're talking about adolescent kids. There is a chemical, they're losing the ability to feel happy in the real world. That's not, it's not because they're lazy. It's not because they won't listen. It's not because all those things that we like to stigmatize. There is a chemical reason they're losing the ability to feel a feeling of happiness in a personal conversation if all of their dialogue takes place online and most of their dialogue takes place online. 
So that's what I would want. And I would want for parents to be able to say, um, I'm going to manage this. And if that means that I've let it get way out of control. And so now I have to go have a really hard conversation and I have to deal with a very angry kid for a while. I will remember that that is what I signed up for when I had my children was to be a very involved parent and a parent in those hard times. Can you um, tell us your website again? So we www. Do you need to say that anymore? The www. Is that, is that still a thing? I think, I think, that's a I think it's kind of a given. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Your it is on, it's on the internet. Uh, this is, so that's a great tool where you can surf around and see. So it is your, Y-O-U-R bestfamily.com, your bestfamily.com. Um, if you click on, uh, there's a whole section that says creating a family technology plan. Um, if you'll click on that, it will show you exactly how it works. And there is, for the record, there's a section on it. It's a menu style um, uh, uh, or, uh, tool. And there's a section on it that says for parents. Um, so parents, there's rules that we're going to put on you too, so that the kids aren't the only ones being stigmatized here. So some of them are like what time you'll, you'll put your phone down for work. Um, one of my rules is one that you already mentioned. I have a rule on here that says, if you're going to post a picture of your kid, they have to approve it first. Um, and then some other ones, uh, and a basic family one is no choosing my phone over my kid. So if I'm in a room with my child, um, people over technology is our family rule. There you go. So, well, thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing this next week. I do as well.